morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, and it's hanging right above my head. Jesus Christ is God. And as the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. He is the savior of the whole world. That's why he came to the earth, to save the whole world. And he is the Jewish Messiah. He came to the earth to save the world, to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And as a result of his successful work at the cross, we are fully, freely, and forever forgiven of our sins. So sins are not an issue in our lives. We do that, but we should just shake it off and realize that every time we fall down and dirty ourselves with sin that the cross cleanses it. It cleansed it in the past, it cleanses it now, and it will always cleanse it even into the future. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. One of the things religion likes to do is to drag Christianity into it and say it's a religion. That's like using gasoline in a cake instead of water. And what religion does, as the gasoline of this analogy, is it poisons Christianity and adds things to it that don't belong in it. Christianity and religion are enemies. They are separate. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person, not a thing. And that's why we have a relationship with him. He is not a concept. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. The Bible is his exact thinking. And we come together here to learn about our Lord, to know his mind through the study of his word. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, whom the Bible calls the ruler of this world. And why the Bible calls him the ruler of this world is because he is the ruler of this world. And Satan is a liar who doesn't want you to get to know God. And as the Bible tells us, he deceives the whole world, including you. And the word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions and his schemes. And without it, we are defenseless. As believers in Christ, in union with Christ, we have the victory over Satan through the Lord who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, what idols do you worship? What idols do you worship? And what I wonder is when you hear that word idol, what picture you conjure up in your mind concerning what an idol is. Now, you may not think of yourself as a worshiper of idols, if you don't get regular psychic readings and if you aren't checking your horoscope daily. I'm an Aries, by the way. (laughs) We simply don't think about idols. Simply stated, an idol is a false god, and idolatry is the worship of false gods. And in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, we learned 
that the majority of people walking on this earth right this minute worship idols daily. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 teach us that for most, there are dire consequences for idol worship. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, like idolatry, and against all unrighteousness, the sin of unbelievers who suppress the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness. Now, one of the things you have to know right away, Christians, is you are not ungodly, you are godly, and you are not unrighteous, you are righteous. So this is not talking about Christians. This is talking about unbelievers. And the wrath of God will be manifest on unbelievers if they die before believing in Christ. Now, the ironic thing of that is that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore the wrath of his Father to pay for the sins of every person who's ever come to the planet. And so what unbelievers are doing is rejecting that work and saying, no, I'd rather encounter God's wrath myself. And this verse says they will, because the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. So you squared away, believers, that you don't have to worry about it, that this is you? You squared away? All right. Believers can never be described as unrighteous. We are not. What about when a believer sins? Is, this, is a believer unrighteous when they sin? Answer me. No, because a believer can never be described as unrighteous. We are righteous. Why? Because at the moment of salvation, God imputed his righteousness to us and placed us into union with Christ. So get that straight. Whenever you're in the Bible and you see this unrighteous, ungodly, that is not you if you're a believer in Christ. Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident within those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that's what unbelievers do. They practice sin. That is their lifestyle. It is a practice. Now, we sin, but we've made our lifestyle different. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We walk in union with Christ. Unbelievers do not have union with Christ. They are not walking in Christ. So because that which is known about God the Father is evident within those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness. For God the Father made the knowledge of himself evident to them. He makes the knowledge of himself evident to them from within and from without. Roman, there, there goes that whole theory, well, what about the little children in the middle of Africa? He makes himself clear to everyone in their language, in ways that they can understand, no matter where they are. And if he didn't, he would be unfair. And there isn't an unfair thing about our Lord. Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe, so that all mankind, especially those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, the unbelievers, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. The unbelievers are going to try a con job when they get at the last judgment. They're going to say, well, I didn't know about you. Nope. Sorry. You knew about me from within, and you knew about me from without, and you rejected me. Sorry about that, boys. 
Romans 1.21, for even though those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness as a lifestyle knew God, they didn't honor him as God, they did not give him thanks. Instead, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness became fools. I just love listening to unbelievers talk about all their speculation and their intellectual pursuit of, you know, who God is and all that. You know, I'm not that complicated. I'm a ghetto boy. I'm a nobody who came out of nowhere. I was a sinner. I needed a savior. Is that simple? Amen? Right? I'm not that smart. I don't want to be that smart. I want to be real dumb in the matter of the Lord because people who are smart intellectualize themselves right into the lake of fire. Oh, well, how could there be a God when I can't see him? The same way there could be that person on that dating site you're on that you ain't seen, but you keep text messaging them. You ain't seen them, but now all of a sudden they're real to you and God's not. Come on. Come on, man. Romans 1.23. And... These unbelievers exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. There's the idol thing. That's what we're going to be studying. An image. That's what an idol is. It's an image. It's something that you create in your mind that doesn't really even exist. And what kind of images? In the form of corruptible man, in the form of birds, in the form of four-footed animals, and in the form of crawling creatures. Those are the things that are worshipped all around the world. Now, if you're an American and you've never been out of America, shame on you, first of all. But second of all, when you go to other countries, and especially throughout Asia, you will see this in play big time. We're going to talk about that a little bit in this lesson. Romans 1.24. Therefore, God the Father gave those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness as a lifestyle over to the lusts of their heart. All right, you want that? Here you go. He turned them over. He turned them over to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, making their sins clearly visible to all. Romans one twenty-five. For those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, the creator who created the creature, he who is blessed forever. Amen. Yes, there are people worshiping idols each and every day instead of worshiping God. And worshiping idols is an abomination. It's an insult to the living God. So in the next three chapters of 1 Corinthians, chapters 8, 9, and 10, Going into the beginning of 11, starting today, we'll be studying the subject of idols and we'll let God surface the idols in our lives so that we know the things he is in the process of eliminating from our lives. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to not pendulum swing, okay? So when you find out that you are an idol worshiper, and you are, Don't pendulum swing. Don't think, okay, I worship the idol. Now I'm going to move over here and I'm not going to worship the idol anymore. You know good and well you can't do that and you aren't going to do it. Amen? Don't pendulum swing. Just get the point. And the point is, worship God first. Everything else is a distant second. 
Because believe me, when you land on in that hospice with 48 hours to go, and you're going to be feeling pretty good because you got that morphine in you, it's not going to be all the idols that are getting you through that last 48 hours. If you've been paying attention to me, if you've even been here once, and you decided to believe in Christ, you're going to know in that 48 hours that you have nothing to worry about because you're 48 hours away from meeting the Lord. Amen? All right. So, let's hear some music. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father, for the gospel of God the Father is the divine power of the Father for salvation to everyone who believes in Christ. To the Jew first, chronologically, and then also to the Greek, to the Gentiles. So the gospel is called the good news. It is a report about what Christ did for all mankind by dying on a cross. The group Mercy Me says it isn't good news. In their song, they say it's the best news ever. Some say don't give up and hope that your good is good enough. Head down, keep on working. If you can earn it, you deserve it. Some say push on through. After all, it's the least that you can do. But don't buy what they're selling. Couldn't be further from the truth. What if I were the one to tell you? So press on, get it right, otherwise get left behind. Some say he's giving slow, so try hard, then try a little more to hold up. If this were true, explain to me what the cross is for. You hey. 
As a, I said, inevitably, the, this song has an abrupt stop because June always picks the songs that have an abrupt stop. I love that song. The best news ever. See, the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever is unbelievers think that, uh, that, that the spiritual life is all about do. Christians think it's all about done. Amen? The work's already been done. That's what Mercy Me says. And I say to that, Mercy Me. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for all the things you have done for us in eternity past, before we were ever created, the things that are unfolding before our eyes every day. A special thanks for giving us God, the Holy Spirit, who provides direction for our lives, who teaches us all about you and your Son. Thank you, Father, for loving us in a way that is so divinely powerful that it is indescribable. Father, help us to love others with the depth and the intensity with which you love, both personally and unconditionally. Help us to see the flaws in others and to not be bothered by them at all. Let as far as the east is from the west be the width of our forgiveness toward others. And let the height of of the heavens be how our graciousness is extended. First and foremost, toward ourselves. We need to be gracious to ourselves, but more importantly, toward others. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what idols do you worship? What idols do you worship? And as idols come to mind, I want you to write them down somewhere, because I want you to look at the list. Because we all have idols, and I want you to have a list because I have a list, and I want you to be as miserable as I was when I was teaching this lesson, when I was preparing this lesson. All right. So what is an idol? Well, in the ancient world, it was something carved out of wood or chipped out of stone or molded out of metal. So you can easily think about idols that way. And then you, if you think of idols that way, if when I said idol, that's what you thought, then you just dismiss what I'm about to say. But because idols were inanimate objects that were given power by people's imagination. Imagine that, that there's a statue, and then you're attributing all this power to a statue. And the power has no statue because idols aren't anything. They don't really exist. They don't have any power. Well, in today's world, there are still these types of idols in some areas of the world, in some areas of the world, meaning everywhere you go. Yet there are more idols today. Today's idols include self. How about when you put yourself on a pedestal and your ego is your idol? How about putting others on a pedestal? Role models. Those are two words that when they're put together, I want to throw up. Oh, he's such a great role model. And Charles Barkley made everybody mad. He said, I am not a role model. He was right. None of us are role models. And we like thinking that. And that's one of the things that gets wealthy people in the lake of fire. They start thinking of themselves as role models. And eventually they start thinking of themselves as deities. And then all of a sudden they don't need a savior because they're so good. I don't think of myself as a role model, and I certainly need a savior. Amen? So you got to not let yourself become an idol. You don't make other people an idol, and you don't make things an idol. 
And, you know, we give a lot of peop- a, a power to self and others and things. Oh, I got such a nice house. It's good you have a nice house. And you should have a nice house. And, but that house, when you're in the 48-hour period in the hospice, isn't going to mean one thing to you, except you're going to be laughing because you didn't finish pay- paying it off, and the bank is stuck with it. Amen? And you hope that your heirs, if you got a will, your heirs will get the equity out of it. Most people are too dumb to have a will, so there's a message to you. Get a will so that the government doesn't get the little bit of stuff that you leave. June, don't bother. You know, like a hat and a couple outfits don't even matter. I just give them the goodwill, amen? They ain't worry about it. (laughs) Nobody won't know your stuff. So... So, ha, you know, today's idols include self, others, and things. These are just things we give power to. Have you ever thought that you allow your children to worship the idol called video games? Video games are an idol. And kids are worshiping video games. Think of the excessive devotion that they have to video games. Have you ever thought, of your near fanatic homage to electronic devices as idolatry. It is. And this is what I'm talking to you about, about pendulum swing. Don't say, well, Pastor Rory said that the phone is an idol, so I'm giving up the phone. (laughs) No, you don't give up the phone. You just understand. A buddy of mine, I was talking to him about the lesson this week, and he was, he was complimenting me, actually. He said that, you know, I really loved your First Corinthians 7 stuff. He said, why is that? He said, because well, it zoomed in on sex. I said, yeah, well, you're a pervert. You, it, it figures that you would like the sex comments. He said, no, really, you know, you're, you're talking about how a husband and wife ought to make themselves available to each other sexually. I said, I wasn't talking about that. God's talking about that. I just said, told you what he said. He said, yeah, but see, my wife, come, when she comes to bed, we got a TV in the bedroom. She's got the TV on, the computer, and her phone. She said, I ain't got a chance. He said, I ain't got a chance. Understood. Been to that movie. Amen? Been to that movie. Television don't belong. The bedroom is for two things. Sleeping and that other thing. Amen? I don't know, TVs and computers and phones belong in there. But idolatry. We worship. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I used to tell people, this is going to end up being the object of your worship. They, they do the same thing they do when you talk about sex. They go, <laughs> now if you suggest to somebody that they have made an idol out of their electronic device, what do they do? They get mad at you. You should be talking about my phone. My phone, this is my friend. This isn't just a phone. Okay. Well, let's see how your friend treats you in that last 48 hours. So, have you ever thought that our connection to electronic devices is idolatry? We don't. When you leave here today, you're not going to think of, of video games or electronic devices as idols either you're gonna say he's nuts he doesn't know what he's talking about and you're gonna go right back to doing what you were doing before idols are things that take your attention away from your relationship with god 
Let me repeat that. Idols are things that take your attention away from worshiping God, from your relationship with God. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, am afraid that just as the serpent, Satan, deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of single-minded devotion to Christ. Idolatry. What is it? It's a mind led astray. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. For if anyone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, and of course they do, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received from us, meaning God the Holy Spirit, or if you receive a different gospel than the one you have accepted from us, you bear this beautifully. All right, listen to that. There are religions who are proposing to you a different Jesus. One of them is Roman Catholicism. It's the religion that I came out of. There are people who are proposing to you a different God, the Holy Spirit. You ever heard of the tongues movement? You ever heard of that? Where people speak in tongues? Yeah, tongues is dead. Tongues died in 70 AD. You know what tongues was? Tongues was, I speak to you in English, and you hear it in your language. Mary speaks Swahili, right? So I'd speak in English, and Mary would hear me in Swahili. I wonder what that sounds like, by the way. I bet you I sound so good. I bet you I sound so good in Swahili. Beautiful people use Afroshi Pamoja. I know a little bit of Swahili, one word. <laughs> Amen. That's what tongues is. So when people come and say they're speaking tongues to you and they that and you don't understand what they're saying in your language, it's not tongues. It's in the Bible. I'm not teaching tongues today, but I gotta get you straight about that because we got a couple Pentecostals in here. Amen. Used to waving their hands and going home and speaking in tongues and all that stuff. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Don't nobody understand what you're saying. All right, and finally. There's a different gospel. What's the different gospel? Faith plus do. The gospel message, the good news about Christ is Christ and nothing else. And anything you add to Christ negates it. In the Roman Catholic Church, it was Christ plus the sacraments. No, it's Christ only, period. Christ. If you're a Christian, the first thought and the last thought that you always have is Christ. It's that simple. All right. So idolatry, a mind led astray. That's what Satan likes to do, lead you astray. And Paul sarcastically says, if you're experiencing these things, you bear it beautifully. He's busting your chops. He's saying you're an idiot if you listen to a, another Jesus and another spirit, and another gospel. And I did. For 21 years, I was a Roman Catholic on the track to be a Jesuit priest. And I was believing in a Jesus that wasn't the Jesus of biblical Christianity. I was believing in a Jesus that did not finish the work of salvation at the cross. And my friends who were Christians were always telling me, here, pray this prayer. Pray this. All right, I, I prayed that prayer a hundred times. I was a Christian before I became a Catholic, all right? 
But they, I'm not taking any chances. Pray the prayer. Okay, pray the prayer. So I've been saved 792 times. Amen? All right. So we repeat the pattern of Eve in the garden when we let our minds be led astray for devotion to things other than God. We are completely comfortable worshiping idols instead of God. And how do you know? Just look at how you use your 112 waking hours a week. How you use your time will tell you everything about what your relationship with God is. You don't build a relationship with somebody and spend no time with them. Amen? All right, so you're here. Amen. Two hours. You know, I get a little wordy. We're supposed to go 9 to 10.30. We usually go 9 to 11. You might as well figure that out. This is going to be your two hours. But what do you do during the rest of the week? Do you even think about the Christ? Do you talk to him? And I'm not good at talking to God. I'm good at writing him letters. I'm not good at sitting and just, you know, talking to him. And It doesn't work for me. But writing him a letter, writing my thoughts to him, really, really works for me. Well, what's the way you communicate with God? How do you make pleas to him? When you get something that happens to you in your life, do you talk to him? Do you just say, hey, man, I know you did that. Thank you. I got a, a, a deal the other day, and I just, the first thing I said was, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You must know something about what's coming up that I don't know and you already provided for. That's amazing to me. Thank you so much. Well, what is idolatry? It's giving homage to, offering devotion to, worshiping, or making a God out of something that is not God. Making a small g out of something that is not the big G. Now, I told you, I ain't seen you, you guys aren't writing. I told you, write down the things when they come to your head that are your idols. You're not writing it down because you don't want to be miserable like I am. I want you to be miserable like me when I sit and write a lesson and I have to deal face-to-face with all my uh, imperfections, both of them. My two sons. All right. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> All right. The next passage we'll study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And the subject matter has to be investigated as a whole, although I can't teach it to you that way. So we won't study the first passage, the first Uh, chapter of this passage today because I need to give you some background to introduce it. But before next week, I'd like you to read the whole passage so that you understand the context of what we're going to be studying because it's easy to get lost as we study if we don't keep the context of the passage and the context of the entire letter in mind. Now, the subject matter is a dispute in the first century Corinthian church over food sacrifice to idols. All right, it's a dispute about foods sacrificed to idols. So people have an idol, they want to honor the idol, so they cook food and they give it to the idol and they say, you know, idol, this is food dedicated to you. And here you come along as a Christian, you eat some of that food. So there's a dispute in the church about whether it's okay for Christians to eat food sacrificed to idols or not. And it brings up the whole subject matter of idols. Well, God's position on idols and idolatry is crystal clear. 
second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Here's what he says. You shall not (laughs) make for yourself an idol or any likeness. For example, like the picture of Jesus. What picture, when I say picture of Jesus, what do you have in your mind? You got a white guy with blue eyes, right? Completely disenfranchises the brothers, right? And that's an idol. We don't have any right to make an image of what God looks like. And I got bad news for all of y'all who don't like brothers. There's no way that you walk around in Israel with all that limestone, white stone, and the sun is beating off of that stone, there's no way you end up with light skin. Sorry. Sorry. Think about, think about the Arabian guy or the, 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 the Arab guys. They're dark. And they got dark eyes. You better start liking brothers. <laughs> if you plan to go to heaven. You better start liking brothers because I don't want you to, you know, it's bad enough when you get in front of the Lord, you're going to see him and his whole radiance just makes you fall down. But I don't want you to fall down twice, amen? I don't want you to fall down because of his radiance and then fall down because you find out he's a brother, amen? (laughs) I'm serious. Oh, by the way, Israel is in Africa. Did you guys know that? Or what is it? No, it's in Asia, isn't it? I'm, I think I'm wrong about that, but it's right next door to Africa. Like they went across the wilderness. Yeah, they were, they were. So y'all better get used to brothers. I'm just saying. All right, <laughs> I'm crazy. I know. Exodus 24: You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness, or what of what is in heaven above, like things in the sky. People worship the sun. People worship the moon. The Muslims are worship the moon god. Things in the stars. Or on the earth beneath animals. In India, they worship cows. They don't eat beef. Come on, seriously? You ain't going to get a steak? Or in the water under the earth. People worship sea life. There was the god of the sea, Poseidon. Exodus 25. You shall not worship idols or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Who are those who hate God? Unbelievers. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. But showing loving kindness, on the other hand, God's grace to thousands, to those who love me, believers in Christ, and those who keep my mandates, believers in Christ. What's the bad news? Your idolatry today, unbelievers, affects future generations. To remind you of the context, you'll remember that in the Corinthian church, there are divisions and rivalries going on, especially the strong versus the weak. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say this, Now I, Paul, exhort you, fellow believers in Christ, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no rivalries among you, no divisions. Instead, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.11, For I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren, in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. It should be obvious to you, if you've been following along in the study of this letter, that the people in the Corinthian church who are asking Paul for spiritual clarification on certain matters want Paul to agree with them. 
like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things which you wrote about, such as, isn't it the highest and virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman? See the way the question is asked? And I told you about the Latin expression, nane, that if you want a yes to a question, you started with the word nane, which means not no. That's what they did here. Isn't it? Aren't I right? So most of these guys, the, the things they're asking they just expect Paul to agree. Isn't it better to be celibate when you're married? That's what they're saying here. So the issue Paul is sorting out in the next passage is eating food sacrificed to idols. And there are three circumstances. You could eat it at the temple of an idol. You can eat food unknown, of unknown origin that is sacrificed to an idol but brought into the marketplace. You didn't know about it. Or eating food in the homes of unbelievers. You have unbeliever friends. They bring you over. And then they make you eat stuff that they fix, but then you find out that it was sacrificed to idols. What about that? For us, this passage calls our attention to idols and the idolatry in our lives. The insidious cunning of the forces of the kingdom of death and darkness to direct our attention away from our God. All right, here's a bit of background. Ancient Greece was a cultural center with a world-famous university and beautiful architecture. But during one of his trips there, Paul was quite disturbed to be in a city full of idols. Many people at the time worshipped the pantheon of gods, including Zeus, who was the god of the sky, but really the king of the gods, Hades, the god of the underworld, Ares, the god of war, Poseidon, the god of the sea, Athena, the god of wis goddess of wisdom, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love, to name a few. And each of these gods and goddesses had Roman names. You know that Zeus is Jupiter. You know that Hades is Pluto. Ares was Mars, I think. Uh, Poseidon was Neptune. Athena was, I don't remember. And Aphrodite was Cupid. They had Roman names. They had uh, uh, Greek names, but they were worshipped. And in, now, they're worshipped, but they don't exist. See, and that's an idol. It's something that we worship, but it doesn't really exist. Now, in Corinth at the time, there were various gods and goddesses available for worship as well, and they were horrible at it. Because remember, Corinth was, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And the Lord plopped the Christian church down right in the middle of it. And as people came out of that culture and into the Christian church and became Christians, they had been raised in paganism. They had been worshiping these gods and they had temples and shrines and all these ritual practices and traditions. And now they're coming into the Christian church and the Christian church is saying, hey, all that stuff you were doing, throw it out. No, well, okay, but see what happened? What about that one thing? Out, throw it out. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, no, there's no yeah, but. That was that, this is different. And it was hard for them to make that transition. So they worshipped idols. There were various temples and shrines. They worshipped there. And if the truth is known, not much has changed today, not, neither in the United States nor in Asia. For example, in our very uh, town here in Phoenix, here is a temple, the Mormon temple in Gil Gilbert, Arizona. Right? It is a temple. It is a shrine. And a group of unbelievers goes there and worships on a regular basis. Amen? All right. 
And on every corner, practically, in Gilbert, Arizona, there's a Mormon church. The Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. They got Jesus Christ's name on it, but it's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity, because you ask any self-respecting Mormon, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? And they will tell you a definite and emphatic no. They do not believe that. And they are wrong about that. How about the Jade Buddha Temple in Shanghai, China? I've got a ton of friends in China, and they are so happy when I come over so they can take me to all these shrines and temples. And I say, hey, man, can we just go get some food? Uh, I, I, we can skip this part. Oh, they have food in the temple. Oh, boy, okay. Well, I haven't studied 1 Corinthians yet, so I don't know if I can eat it. Yeah. <laughs> How about the Sensoji Temple in Asukusa, Japan? You notice they're very similar in, in look. The Taiwan Temple in Taipei. Uh, Denise, I think this is where Peggy took us that time when we were in Taiwan. And she was all into it, man. She was pouring, dropping coins in, pouring the water in. She was so happy. She wanted us to do it. It's like, yeah, I want to I wanna mess with the water, but I'm kind of thirsty. It's like, is this drinkable? You know, and she looked at me like I was crazy, like I had insulted one of her gods. She's a cool person, too. It's so funny. And then the Crocodile Temple in Bangkok, and I remember when I went to Thailand for the first time, I went to one of the temples, and there was a lying Buddha. And it was probably the size of a football field and a half. Bronze figure laying down. Well, you had to take off your shoes, and you had to kneel in front of it and all this stuff. And I was thinking, am I, am I making God mad? So I just started talking to God. I said, I, I think you know that I don't believe any of this stuff. This is not God. All that is is some metal. And I am kneeling for you. I am not kneeling for that thing. And I'm mad because I got to take my shoes off because my feet was hurting. <laughs> All right, so this is going on today, man. You should see. If you haven't been to Asia, you got to go. And you got to see this stuff. And you got to see how serious people are about this. And, you know, you got Hinduism. They've got 8,000 gods. Well, there's only one god, so 7,999 of them, or perhaps 8,000 of them, that ain't it. They're making it up. And if you got 8,000 gods, which one do you worship? Because you got to have some favorites and some not-so-favorites. Yeah, I don't get it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering. And then we'll continue our look at the background of the next passage of our study. Take five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, What Idols Do You Worship? I hope you've got as long a list as I have. 
What idols do you worship? Well, God intends that your giving blesses other people. So let that thought direct your giving both today and every day. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Mr. Jim. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. We're a worldwide church where real people listen to a real pastor teach the real work. What's wrong, Bazak? In and out? My mic's messed up now. Check, check. Can you hear me? Hello? 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 No, don't do that. Working. Hello? Check, 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 check. One, two, three. It's kind of staticky. My battery might be low. Is it working? Okay, let's just cancel everything. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Check, check. One, two, three. Hello? 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 Is that one bad too? Hello? Hello? Test one, two, three. Test one, two, three. Check, check. One, two, three. Can you hear me? Operator error, I think this is. All right, check, check, one, two, three. All right, let's try that over again. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be deacon for Bra Ministries. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We're real people who listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. Let's get this out of here. And we look crazy on the on the on the screen. Anyway, so we've been studying. Paul and his in, and everybody that you know in, in that time was being influenced from around from everything around them from Corinth to where they lived to their friends so I was thinking about my own life and my own influences who do I influence and how have I been influenced and I, I came I came to the thought of education and you know like throughout our, our lives we, we are being educated and you know you think about teens they grow up and they go off to school and who are they being educated by? Teachers? But they're also being educated by their friends. I can think back to many older brothers giving their younger brothers very bad advice 
about sex, about relationships, about everything in school. I can even think of one of my friend's older brothers saying that uh, you just tell a girl whatever she wants to hear. Tell her you love her. I was like, oh, really? Oh, really? Okay, that gets out, gets, makes, it, makes it work. And I had a friend who said that. He said, I love this girl. Soon enough, they're in this long relationship he didn't want to be in. He met the parents. He did all this stuff, and he got in, but he was all the way in, and he did not want that. He, want, he didn't want a lifelong friendship or a family, and so kind of went down the wrong road. And you think about higher education. What's our life tell us? Everybody says, you've got to go to college, got to go to college. It's the only way you can function. Meanwhile, people like Elon Musk and uh, I think Bill Gates, I don't think he graduated high school. These guys didn't even graduate high school, and you're seeing billionaires. You know, Just because you have a bachelor degree in higher education doesn't mean you're intelligent. You know, you can have a bachelor degree and send and receive emails for 40 hours a week. It doesn't mean anything, you know. And so you think about uh, the phone. Pastor brought up the phone. It's a great thing that influences us. It's like an idol. It, it influences our lives. You think about what Facebook does. Facebook cherry picks images, and they show this whole persona. And if you go on there, I'm, you, you have this whole vibe. You feel like certain people are very popular and certain people aren't popular, and it influences you. And, you know, we think about our own, our own salvation. Look at our salvation. It's influenced. We have, Pastor was saying, you know, uh, Hindus, what is it? What would you say? 9,000 gods? 8,000 gods? And then, you know, you've got all these different religions with 20 different ways to be saved, 20 different ways for salvation. And, you know, it's just confusing. So you think about the giving at the offering. It's confused. It's the same thing. It's people think, Giving the offering is a have-to thing. They think it's, you know, I got a tie. That's the only way I can, you know, get blessing at church is to give because I have to give. And that's completely wrong. And so, you know, we look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about it? We see in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no false teachers take you captive through their hollow and deceptive philosophy based on human tradition, according to the demon-inspired principles of the world, rather than teaching about Christ, teachings about Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16, on, on the alternate of that, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. So all the things that influence us, they're pretty much like 2 Corinthians says, false teachers, deceptive philosophies. But when you come to church, when you come to broad ministries, you find out that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and instructions in rightness, righteousness. It's a pretty easy si- decision for me where I want to be influenced by, what I want to be influenced by. And I kind of figured out why Pastor always brings up phones as an idol because then he can pop it out and check his notifications. That's what he's doing. He's checking. He's like, oh, let me check real quick. It's not my idol, right? <laughs> but, I mean, even our own pastor teacher stood up here and admitted that he was teaching the wrong doctrines, the wrong principles. And that's a huge thing to do, to, to admit that you were teaching, that we were influencing people incorrectly. And so let's just stop tape, let's regroup, and let's orient and adjust. And we did, and our pastor did. He had the, the integrity to do that for us. And, you know, I think that's a huge deal. But I think a bigger deal is him admitting that he gets Manny Petties. That's some real vulnerability there. And, you know, that's a true man that can admit those kind of things. And so I'm... I'm proud of our pastor and I'm, I think we're blessed to have a pastor that can be very personal with us we're not a mega church and we never will be and we're proud of that 
and we're proud that we're going to have that building very soon. We're working on getting the funding, thanks to everybody that gives continually, and we're spreading out worldwide, um, slowly but surely. And so thank you for your consistent giving. Today's Bible lesson, what idols do you worship? What idols do you worship? Well, welcome back. We're beginning our study of idols and idolatry with 1 Corinthians chapter 8. What is an idol? The Apostle Paul will tell us that there's no such thing as an idol in the world. Listen to that. There's no such thing as an idol in the world. So what does that mean? That when we're worshiping an idol, we're worshiping something that doesn't exist. And that will just demonstrate for you the power of the mind to create things that don't exist. You can even do that in a relationship. You think your relationship is one thing, and then at some point you find out that it's a very different thing. Amen? So, idols. In other words, the things we idolize are figments of our mental imagination thought to bring some benefit. A career can be an idol. 
And think about it. We spend 50 to 60 hours a week. Some, some executives, I, I recommend that an executive spend 50 hours a week in their career. But there are people who spend 60 to 80 hours a week working of 112 waking hours. Then when do you get in all the other stuff, the family, the relationship, the marriage, the spiritual life? The body, when do you get all that stuff in? I, I work, I coach a lot of young men and 40 years old, and I ask them, Do you have a primary physician? <laughs> they get the little giggle, the sex giggle, right? <laughs> no. Say, so, Hey, you need to start checking your. I was having a, a physical at Mayo Clinic every year when I was 21. And by the, when I hit 30, one of the doctors said, Why do you come here every year? So what do you mean? I'm keeping my health. I want a good baseline for, he said, look, come back when you're 50. He said, you're 30 years old. You're invincible. You're going to live forever. Come back when you're 50. Okay? Don't come back. Like, all right. But I don't listen to, I didn't come back there, but I kept checking on my health all the time because I want to be on top of it. And young people are not even thinking about that stuff. Well, if you're working 60 to 80 hours a week, you're not thinking about your life. You got an idol called the career. Sex can be an idol. Drugs can be an idol. Alcohol can be an idol. You making it up in your mind that they make you, quote unquote, feel better. They don't make you feel better. They just take you out of touch with reality. And when you wake up from it, you got a headache and you're right back in the same mess that you were in before. Only worse because you had to pay for that stuff. Rituals, traditions, inanimate objects, self others, things to which we give power and to which we extend devotion. These are idols. People often rope us into their idolatry by inviting us to celebrations, whether we want to be part of them or not. At Christmas, there are these things called novenas. Novenas is the Latin word from the Latin word novem, which means nine, nine consecutive nights of celebration where people gather and then read these ritual readings. And, you know, I've been at these a couple of times, and I look at the people. They don't know what they're hearing here. They don't know what these readings are really saying. And all they are is traditional religious rituals with food and a gathering connection. We'll just gather for the food and the connection. But stop doing the... The ritual, because these are non-Christian practices that exist as part of a family tradition, and they appear to be harmless. They are not. Why? Listen carefully. There is a demon behind every idol. Satan assigns a demon behind every idol, so you're not worshiping idols, you're worshiping demons. There is the practice of making people deities, role models. In Roman Catholicism, one of the prayers says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. It's called the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God. I can say it in Latin, too, if you want. Ave Maria, gratia plena, dominus tecum, benedicta tuum, eleribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus took six years of Latin. But what is the, Hail Mary, Mary, mother of God. Mary is not the mother of God. 
She would have had to precede God to be the mother of God. She is the mother of Jesus Christ's humanity. Roman Roman Catholics should be in shock by having to pray this next part of the prayer. Pray for us, sinners. What is a sinner? It's an unbeliever. And they sit in their church every week. And they say, pray for us, unbelievers. Okay, well, if you believe in Christ, then how are you an unbeliever? Well, because they don't believe in the Christ of biblical Christianity. They believe in another Jesus who didn't finish the work of salvation at the cross. It's right in their own catechism. And so they're being accurate. Pray for us sinners. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ's humanity, is thought to be co-redemptress the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. She is thought to be someone who was born sinless, lived a sinless life, and was bodily assumed into heaven. False. And one of the only things that the current Pope has done right is he got that right. They wanted to actually add this to her title. You know, she's uh, Blessed Mary Ever Virgin. She was not ever virgin. She had a virgin birth and then six kids after that. They want to add co-redemptress to her title. He said, no, she is not that. That's correct. She is not that. You know, the big Catholic joke, you know, that that passage where where the woman is brought out into the square. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery, what do you say about this, Jesus? And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then a rock comes in and hits the woman in the head, and Jesus says, mother! Right, that's the joke. Ain't funny. (laughs) You laugh, though. You, You laugh at the jokes I don't want you to laugh at, and then you don't laugh at the jokes I want you to laugh at. But that's it. Roman Catholics think that Mary lived a sinless life. She did not. As a matter of fact, Jesus bagged on her for being a knucklehead when he was giving a speech to a group of people. She brought her and three of her unbeliever kids and said, we need to speak to Jesus. And the people went and told Jesus. Jesus said, they said to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus said, all these people who do the will of my father by believing in Christ, these are my mothers and my brothers. The lady to go away. So, there is a practice in the Roman Catholic Church of praying to statues, praying to patron saints. Jude, the patron saint of lost causes. Christopher, the Saint Christopher, the patron saint of travel mercies. Come on, man. Thinking saints are people who have performed miracles. I think to be a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to, provide, you have to perform five miracles. Instead of the thinking, thinking the truth, which is that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a saint. And I've only performed one miracle, and that's being dumb enough to think I needed a Savior. Amen? <laughs> Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul starts his letters greeting the saints all the time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God the Father to the saints, to the believers in Christ who are at Ephesus, a city in Turkey, 
who are faithful in union with Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. It's not some special thing that the Roman Catholic Church tries to make it into. What must the Lord's Supper look like when our visitors come and partake? Do they see us as worshiping an idol? Is worshiping Christ idolatry? It isn't. He is God. But do they see it that way? Probably makes them very uncomfortable. There, and, and by the way, that's why I'm always explaining every time what the Lord's Supper is. So that when we have visitors, they can understand. There is idolatry of giving power to crystals and stones. A common practice here in Arizona. And although they are called negative, negative ions are thought to possess a lot of positive health benefits and are thought of as being capable of creating positive emotional states, mood improvements, resistance to stress, and better general health, an increase in the flow of oxygen to the brain, resulting in higher alertness, decreased drowsiness, and more mental energy. So people go up to Sedona. They buy crystals, they buy stones, and they take them to an energy vortex at the base of a mountain and hold them there so that the negative ions can go into the crystals and the stones. And they go to other places in the world that have this high concentration of negative ions. And see, I don't get it. Because when I go up to Sedona, what I see is a bunch of people who still think it's 1968, amen? It's all the hippies. They're all the hippies. They're selling bongs and crystals and stones and worshiping and talking funny and wearing patchouli, which is the grossest perfume ever known to mankind, and wearing the flowing dresses and the tie-dye shirts. It's like, do y'all know it's 2020? <laughs> But people flock up there. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Sedona's a nice place. It's beautiful. Got a lot of red rock formations. Got a Thai restaurant with some coconut soup to die for. Amen? But there's no crystals. Seriously. And see, that's the problem with unbelievers in my mind. The problem with them is they reject Christ. And if you do that, that's good. But what do they do instead? They go worship something else. Stones. Crystals, my goodness, they're worshiping a wine glass. Do we think that these things we worship are harmless? Hardly. Does God think they're harmless? No. We have to ask ourselves, how does God look at idols and idolatry? Here's what he says. Remember Exodus? He says, you shall not worship idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You got that? You shall not worship idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. All right. So God is intensely concerned for us because behind every idol is one of Satan's demons. So let's read the first chapter of our new passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, and we'll study it next week. Here we go. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols... We know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. 
But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Remember that Paul is always, when he's answering the questions that were posed in the letter from Chloe's people, he always starts it out with, now concerning. So therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. That's what this next three chapters is about. We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. There is God and there is nothing else. That's what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 8.5 For even if there are so-called small g gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, small g, small l, 1 Corinthians 8.6 Yet for us, as believers in Christ, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. There it is, Deacon Denny. Deacon Denny Smart, isn't he? Didn't he just get up there and say, this is, all, all this stuff is confusing, man. But Christianity's not confusing. There's one God the Father. There's one Lord as Savior Jesus Christ. Everything is one with God. One baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, not getting dunked in oily water. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, not all men have this knowledge, right? Why is that? Because a lot of men reject this knowledge. They have it available to them. They're about to have it available to them again because I'm going to go over the gospel like I do every single week. Not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now. That's the new believers who have come into the Christian church at Corinth who were worshiping pagans. So, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, that thing that does not exist. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. See, when you make stuff up, what is your conscience all about? Your conscience is all about, it's that part of you that knows right from wrong. And when you start thinking, well, there's an idol, and then you come into a Christian church, says, there's no such thing as an idol. It confuses you. First step of learning is confusion. But there's a problem with new believers, as it relates to mature believers, which this passage is trying to address. 1 Corinthians 8, 8. But food will not condemn us, condemn us to God. God said we can eat anything. He told Peter that. He said everything's cool now. In the age of Israel, you couldn't eat some, certain stuff, like you couldn't eat pork because you could die. Right? Now everything's cool. We got sanitation methods now. So food isn't going to commend us to God. God's not going to like us better because we eat food. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. That's for all you fasters out there. You know, a lot of people who fast because they think it makes them spiritual. It does not. It makes you hungry. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I lost 37 pounds in 60 days, and part of it was a 16-hour intermittent fast every day. There's nothing wrong with fasting, but I certainly didn't think I was more spiritual because I was fasting. I thought I was more evil. I wanted to hurt people. I wasn't getting my caffeine. I, I, was, at a, I was having caffeine withdrawals. I was having sugar withdrawals. Yeah, it was not fun. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this liberty of yours, this freedom to eat anything you want, doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
if somebody with a weak conscience sees a mature believer eating anything he wants, they think, well, I can eat anything I want too. And then sometimes they just go eat anything they want but when the food is sacrificed to idols. God doesn't want us doing that. 1 Corinthians 8.10, For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat the things sacrificed to idols? 1 Corinthians 8.11, For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. That's one of the things that I hate the most, that if I do anything that hurts or perverts or distorts or defiles other people, that really bothers me on a really deep level. 1 Corinthians 8.12, and so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. What did Christ say? Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. 1 Corinthians 8.13, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. He didn't say I won't eat meat again, don't take it out of context. He said, if it causes somebody to stumble, I'm going to avoid doing the thing that makes people stumble. There was somebody who did that before us, wasn't there? Wasn't there this guy, Jesus Christ, who voluntarily suppressed the use of his deity in subjection to God the Father? Yeah, we're going to study that. It's called the doctrine of kenosis. Philippians 2.8. We'll take a look at that next week. All right, so that's the passage that we're going to be studying first. We'll get into it next week. So what are the idols in your life is the first thing I wanted you to consider. And if you take a look at how you spend your time, you'll find a lot of them. Isn't it time to give that wasted time to God? Isn't it time to give that wasted time to God? Now, here's the thing. Right next to my bed, there's a chair, and it's got a little podium on the chair, on the hassock, and there's a Bible there. And when I get up, the first thing that I could do is go over and sit down and look at that Bible and read a chapter of it. If I read one chapter a day, I get through the New Testament in 200 days. If I read four chapters a day, I get through the whole Bible in a year just to orient and to know what's there, right? Is that what I do? Not always, sometimes. The times I do it, my day is really good. But what sometimes what I do is I get up, I go to the bathroom, then I wander into the kitchen, and oh my goodness, the computer's right there, and then I pay homage to my email, pay homage to the God, AOL, amen? You see what I mean? Now, I know that stuff wasn't on your list, but I have a list, and it's all about choice. Well, the bathroom's probably not. That's probably not a choice. Probably better do that, especially if you're over 50, you probably ought to go. But then after that, you get to choose how you spend your 112 waking hours a week. How are you choosing to spend it? How much of that time are you giving to God? How much of that time are you giving to every, every, everything else? And would he be happy with your choice about how much time you're spending with him? Well, what's his choice towards you? This is the final thing. How much time does God spend with you per week? 
Well, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. So I think that means that he spends 168 hours with you a week. 24 times 7. Hint, hint. (laughs) Now you can't do that. You actually have to sleep. He doesn't sleep. But hint, hint. Is two hours enough? Hint, hint. All right. So more on this next week. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today is a reminder, like every week, that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The closing moments of our study are the most important moments of this study. First and foremost, this part of the lesson is for the benefit of believers in Christ so that you can be ready to give an account of why there is hope in you. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. First and foremost, this part of the lesson is for believers in Christ so that you can give an account of why there is hope in you. Second, this part of the lesson is for unbelievers so you can be saved, so you can be transformed by God from being a sinner to being a saint. This message is called the gospel, and it is good news. It offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life. Now, there is one inescapable truth that is at the very root of Christianity. Christ. Jesus Christ is God. See that sign hanging over my head? That's why I want you to see that all the time. Jesus Christ is God. He is the truth in his very person. And there is only one way to get to heaven. Hint, hint, Jesus Christ, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, who is God, and in placing your confidence in what he has done at the cross on your behalf. The bad news is that you were born a sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood so that you can be saved. The message is your chance to have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. Now, if you're going to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, you should probably get to know him as soon as you can. And while there are many things to know about him, here are a critical few things. First, he is your creator. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is your creator. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The one who does not love unconditionally does not know the Lord, for the Lord is, in his very person, unconditional love. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be saved. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are a sinner, just as all of us are from the moment of our physical birth. Sinners need a Savior. The Savior is Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who wants all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are some things the Lord doesn't want for you. The Lord doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of, 
Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You will go to the lake of fire at physical death if you choose not to believe in him. The Lord Jesus Christ forgives all your sins. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Lord doesn't want you to work to please him. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this. If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, that's a first-class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true, then salvation is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If you have to pay for a free gift, then it's not free. God's graciousness offers you the chance to be saved as a free gift. So who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ, and in doing so, he's describing what you have to believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it's that I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message, the good news I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. So how can you get to heaven? There is only one way. The loving, forgiving, patient God who wants you to be saved is willing to give you salvation right this minute. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle, Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God the Father, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you get to know Jesus Christ, you'll have no problem placing your confidence in him, both for your salvation and for everything else. Why? Because you'll know that the sovereign God of the universe wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He died for you. He has never been disappointed in you. So take advantage of his grace and choose to be saved right now. Amen? All right, let's close with some music. Uh-oh. Looks like there's something. That, no, there's not. All right. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 says this, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Second Peter 1.21, and no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. In other words, the Bible is not just a bunch of stories written by a bunch of guys who are sitting around in a coffee house writing their opinions. 
Men carried along by God the Holy Spirit spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit dictated to the people who wrote the Bible and they wrote what he said word for word. Well, when you let the word of God sink in, it does exactly what June Murphy says about the word in her song. Your word takes me. Your word takes me, your word makes me, 
Fitzgerald, that was awesome. That was an aerobic workout, wasn't it? <laughs> Her heart's beating at 180 beats a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm trying to get all that. June broke her ribs, and so she's having trouble breathing deeply, so we were worried that she wasn't going to be able to sing today, but she got it done. Now you can go home and cry the rest of the <laughs> afternoon. Because <laughs> breaking your ribs is painful. I do recommend, and, and I, in all seriousness, I, I just genuinely recommend that you stop falling down. That would be amazing for your health. Thank you. You're welcome. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus, and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, so do not fear. Or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he might promote you at the proper time. Slamming all your cares on his back. Because God cares for you. Which means God considers your problems. To be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father. We just thank you for so much for the word which takes us to places 
that only you and I can go. And we just thank you so much that whenever our souls are in a state of angst, whenever we're beset on all sides by adversity, when the sky comes in, when the nest comes in and blots out the sky, it's so good to know that all we have to do is go turn to Romans chapter 8 and remind ourselves that you love us unconditionally and that you've got our back totally. And so thank you for giving us that and many places to go in your word so that we can get comfort. And as we go out into the world this week, remind us to look for opportunities in the lost and dying world to invite people to the good news about Christ. And remind us to invite people to Barah Ministries. And let's not just assume that they don't want to go to church or they they won't want to learn the truth because when people get here, they like what they're hearing here. So let's bring people here and expose them to the truth because by doing that, Father, we're exposing them to you and to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. And we expect your blessings as we go forward this week, the blessings of prosperity and adversity. And we know that we already have the victory through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Oh, stop. Oh, stop.